Were you go? I mean, I saw plenty of Penn. My dad went to Penn State, so I saw plenty of Penn State Rutgers football games. Were you going to any of the basketball games back then, or were you, are you going to the football football games more? What were you doing? No, I'm I'm not a big football fan, but I would go to the rack. I, I'm one of those people. Like, I wasn't really a Rutgers fan, to be honest with you. I had a really good friend who was a fairly Dickinson fan, so okay. anytime they'd cross match, we we would go. I was always like opposite of wherever I was from. I was rooting almost against that city. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. I'm curious. When did you first fall in love with the game of basketball? When was that moment where you're like, I really want to be around the game of basketball? Believe it or not. I think it started. I was watching college basketball in 1993. And I, this is so odd, but I fell in love with the 93 Hoosiers. They had uh, Damon Bailey, Calvert Trainey, Greg Graham, Allen Henderson. And they, they were kind of the number one team in the country that year. And then Allen Henderson went down with an injury. So I found myself watching tons of Hoosiers. And this is during when Michigan had the Fab Five. So anytime Indiana was on, so that kind of, I was watching the NBA before that, but I think the Indiana basketball moment was kind of a light bulb moment for me. Like I really love this game. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, you did some writing. I'm curious what sparked your interest in writing. And can you tell our listeners maybe some of the work that you did? Uh, yeah. Uh, I have a friend that runs a, a website called the sports courier his name's shout out to fred rashani really good guy he does a lot of things involving wrestling basketball mma and i wanted to kind of give a different perspective on the way we look at basketball like you always hear these very standard debates of oh who's better jordan or lebron and to me these are like unfair comparisons because they're team sports there's millions of variables that take place, such as rule changes and errors and teammates and referees. And it's like it kind of devalues the rest of the great players that played in this game. Yeah, 100 percent. I, I agree. I mean, it, it's almost repetitive. Some of the stuff that we see with all the who's better, who's not. And uh, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, is there any work that you're most proud of, like an article that really stands out where you look back and you're like, wow, that was a really good article? Uh, no, not really. I think I, I'm proud of everything, but I think the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that I'm able to change my opinions. I think that's something that analysts and writers have hard times with. Like I, I can give you a great example. <laughs> here, here, here's a story for you. So when the TBT introduced the Elam ending, I was so anti against it. I was like, this is not basketball. I even like wrote like a, a letter to John Muger talking about how anti against it I was. But once I saw it in action and once I realized it, how we've been playing basketball wrong all these years, you know, the first thing I did was I went to him and I said, no, I was wrong. Like I was totally dead wrong. I even messaged Nick Elam 
And I said the same thing. I said, I was so against this, but the more and more I watch this, the more and more this is the way the game should be played. So you, you have to be able to be adaptable. Yeah. You know, I, I really appreciate that comment that you just said because I feel like that really hurts like sports in general and also a lot of like Twitter and um, there's there's not a lot of accountability. You know what I mean? And I think that takes, you know, a, a big person to be like, you know what? I thought this way, but I'm definitely wrong. I see your point of view. I don't think we do that enough in sports. And I think that's a really cool thing that you can do that because I think if we have more discussions, you know, we would get more into the game than always trying to have somebody try to be right. You know what I mean? And I think that's I think that's huge, personally. Exactly. And, and you know, looking at it from John Muger's standpoint and Dan Friel's standpoint, who run the TBT, it takes guts to go against the norm like that. You know, nobody wanted to even think about doing that idea. And now all of a sudden, it's part of the NBA All-Star game. Yeah, and I agree, and I, I love the Elam en ending too, and I'm definitely going to have some questions about it uh, once we get into the TBT talk. But I have one more question about your writing, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. I want to know, um, are there any writers that really inspired you or styles that really caught your eye where you tried to maybe have your writing style after them? Or I've always been a fan of Bill Simmons. I think, I think one thing that Bill Simmons is able to do is kind of like – keep himself being a fan without being obnoxious. <laughs> I mean, it's just, he has a way, like if you ever hear Bill Simmons talk about like the old Celtics, oh, and yeah. he, he talks, he doesn't talk at people like he's like Stephen A. Smith or Skip Bayless, like no offense to those guys, but he comes from a place where I love basketball. I love this game. This is the origin of it. And I kind of want myself to have to embody that same idea. Yeah, I think that's a great point because, like, Simmons has been to some really famous Celtic games, too, in the 80s. And it's really interesting. Like, you almost feel like you're sitting next to him in the seat when that game happened, the way that he describes it and the way that he's, he's just kind of like, you know what, to me, he's like, he's like the luckiest fan ever. And he never yes. forgot that, like you said. You know what I mean? And, and if you asked him that, he probably would explain it just that way. I'm just a fan who gets to do something cool every day. Yeah, and you know what? It's kind of like how me and Zach look at what we do with podcasts. It's like, you know, we're very grateful for all the guests that we've had on the show, and it's, and we're just big fans of basketball. We're really lucky. Um, one of the things I want to ask you about, I know Zach's chomping at the bit to, to get some questions on, on this with you, is tell us about the TBT for our listeners that might not know about it. Um, how did you hear about it, and what steps did you take to get involved with the league? Uh, so I saw a Facebook post back in spring of 2015 that there's a tournament for $1 million. And at first, I didn't think it was true. <laughs> so at the time, I was helping uh, one of the players who I ended up recruiting at the time he was running a men's league Gabe Sandoval and there was a lot of good players in Arizona so and I knew that him and there's a guy that would always coach money teams Ron Kadich who, who I do team 23 with Ron is like dear to me 
he's really passionate and competitive and he's got a lot to do with team 23 success. He, he, I knew I had to get him involved. So at first I started contacting the TVT. Is this real? Yes, it's real. We're going to be on ESPN. So I knew that even if we lost, we were going to be really competitive. I didn't know how competitive we were going to be at first because, you know, you have these like small sample sizes of, you know, how good the guys are that you have, but you only know it in a sample size of like Arizona versus Arizona. You don't know it versus the rest of the United States. So that's kind of how it started. And, you know, the event has grown exponentially from there. Absolutely. Totally agree with you on that. Um, so for our listeners, who came up with the name Team 23 and what is the history of the makeup of the team? Uh, so that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm a giant Michael Jordan mark. So that kind of started. My mom used to work across the street from Madison Square Garden for about 20 years. Uh, Madison Square Garden's address was four Penn Plaza and her office was seven Penn Plaza. So you'd look outside her office window and you would see on top of the garden. So I hated the Knicks. <laughs> I grew up. And, and at that time, you know, I, now I come, I look back and I'm like, man, I had so much respect for that team. But at that time I was always kind of like against the buff. And then here on the other end, you see this guy, Michael Jordan, who seems to defy all logic and it was really hard to not fall in love with what he was as a player. So my mom used to take me to Nick games. So it kind of like spurned out of that. It kind of like organically came out of that. So then I found myself like every night I'm looking at the bull scores. I'm watching sports center. I start logging things and it just becomes this obsession, you know, like anything else. So I've always kind of been a Jordan guy. And I wanted to kind of pay homage to him because to me, that number represents winning, especially now that LeBron James wears it. There's something about that number that embodies a certain aura. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the logo too. Just everything about it. I think it's a perfect name for what you guys are. And I'm curious in what your strategy is to building a team because you guys went on a great run. I mean, you made it to the title game, so what did you look for to build a successful team? Because it clearly worked. Well, <laughs> the strategy in 2015 and the strategy in 2021 are night and day <laughs> because the event has grown. But the strategy in 2015 was to get guys that knew, all knew each other. That I'm, I'm a big proponent of length. Because even if you go back to the Bulls of the 90s, you know, when you have Harper, Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, all guys that are 6'6", they're interchangeable. They can just switch everything. So when I initially recruited the players for the team, that was kind of where my brain was at. Like, can we switch everything defensively? Because a lot of teams are going to try to play one-on-one. -on -one. And it worked, you know, it it. What we kind of set the tone in this event defensively. You know, we set the precedent. Now, many teams have duplicated that since then and surpassed that. 
And at that time for us, we were a group of older guys. So we kind of had one, maybe two shots to win it. You know, our best player was 34 years old and he was phenomenal that year. And, and I tell people all the time, it's like, man, if we would have had him at 29 in this, I, I still feel he'd be the best player in this event. Yeah. But it's just, it's all timing. The event has grown. Uh, coaching in this event has become very, very prominent where it used to be you could game manage the event. Now you see like there's a lot of strategy. The alumni is taking more serious now. So where we had success early, we've kind of fell behind the wayside the last couple of years because our guys have gotten older and the event has gotten better. So my job now to answer what would it take to do it now is I have to rebuild A, to find talent that's dedicated to do it. And I would like to keep the same strategies of long guys that can switch everything. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great strategy to do. And you see a lot of teams in the NBA even doing that now with like the Bucks going with the all-length defensive. So I think it's a great strategy. And uh, one of the guys that has a lot of length, uh, we just had Larry Owens on the show, as you know. Uh, you told wolf. me some interesting – Yeah, the Wolf. You told me some interesting <laughs> facts about Larry when we spoke. Um, and that was a popular episode for us. So I know our listeners would love to hear some fun Larry stories if you have any that you can share. And how did he get the nickname The Wolf? I want to hear that. <laughs> uh, Larry, you know, I'll probably get flack for this. Larry is probably my all-time favorite Team 23 player. And I could do this event for 20 years, and that probably will never change. So it, he was actually the first guy I recruited because I said, here's a guy who's 6'7", was in the NBA, and at the time he was playing in the G League. So he's 6'7", you know, he's got a huge wingspan, and every time I saw him, he played hard, even in a rec league game. And I almost thought it'd be foolish not to have him on the team. Even if he wasn't the star, he was going to be the role star. Yeah. So... You know, and, and talking to Larry, I got to know him before that. And he always carried himself like a pro. I mean, every, every TBT experience up and down, Larry, you know, carried himself like a pro. You know, if, if we were making a run and certain guys, hey, I want to go out and party, Larry's like, no, nah, I'm focused on basketball. That's the way. <laughs> Larry's all business. So... Yeah. Pre-game, I think we were in Chicago for the, 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 the final 16, and we were about to play seven outs, which at the time had, like, Drew Lavender. And before the game, he had this look on his face like, I'm going to stop anybody. Like, and anybody you put me on, I want to stop. So that's kind of when I came up with the nickname The Wolf because he just – he was a different animal. So I started calling him the wolf then, and it kind of stuck. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, and his defense is the one thing that really stood out about me and how interchangeable he was. Um, you know, it's, it's a small world because uh, there's, of course, Larry, but I was also college teammates of Shaq McKissick during his redshirt year at Edmonds. Um, what jumped out of, at you about 
his game or character that made you say that I have to have this guy? Well, Shaq, Shaq actually never got a chance to play with us. I, I, the, the year that I recruited him to play two years ago, he signed a deal in Turkey and the Turkish team didn't want him playing in the summer. And then, and then the irony of that was that team totally messed up his contract because what people don't know about playing overseas is, and I'm sure you hear these horror stories about guys that don't get paid. And my advice to those guys is make sure when you go play in a country, you play in a country that has labor laws. If you go to play in Turkey or Greece, their labor laws are pretty lax. So those two countries can very easily, if the team goes under, find ways to not pay you. Yeah. Whereas if you went to France or if you went to Italy or if you went, you know, certain other places, they have labor laws that kind of protect you as a player. So I love Shaq for the same reasons that I like Larry. I thought he was really athletic. And I, I wish he would. Play, I wish he'd play with us this year. But unfortunately, he's going to play with uh, Delroy James's team, which I think is playing for Autism Speaks, which I think is a great cause. So I think I've always been a fan of Shaq because he's long, he's interchangeable, and he's athletic. Yeah, and I saw his athleticism firsthand, and he is very damn athletic. <laughs> for sure. But uh, Davin White is another guy. Uh, I know he's a low-key great talent. Um, this might be a strange question, but do you think NBA scouts don't take the TBT serious? And what I mean by that is – there's quite a few guys in the TBT that are clear as day, like either NBA or big-time overseas talent. So why do you think more of these guys don't get more looks? Uh, just it, the same way has like the Jordan-LeBron argument isn't simple. This has tons of variables which you can dissect too. So for one, the NBA has a very filtered process. You go from college to the pros. That's it. You know, there's no minor league baseball system. And if you don't have that talent at 19, 20, 21, on top of the timing, you know, a good camp showing, they're not going to take a flyer on you. But what they don't take into account, the NBA, is that some players might not develop till 25 or 27. And at that time, like, we're smart enough to know that's the prime of someone's career. So I tell people, if you have 14 guys on an NBA roster, one through eight, they're the best in the world. Nine through 14, you can interchange those guys with almost anyone that plays in the TBT that's a star. You know, and you would never know the difference if – you replaced an end bench guy in the NBA with Kyle Fogg or DJ Kennedy. That's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. Um, we feel that way also with, with the, the G League. You know, the same thing. There's guys where we scratch our heads trying to figure out how are these guys not getting burned in the NBA, and it's, it's a great point you make. I want to talk to you about Doug Gottlieb, your coach. What qualities stuck yes. out to you about Doug? that made you want him to be the guy to coach your team. And then the other thing too is how did you get him because of how crazy that guy's schedule is? <laughs> you, you know, Doug's one of those guys that you kind of either love him or you hate him. And I think with me, because I like dissect things a little differently, 
I looked at it like Doug is really passionate about the game. He loves the game and he's protective of the game. So he may come off to certain people a certain way, but I just think it's part of like a character he plays. Uh, as far as getting him, I just messaged him on Instagram, in, uh, I, on Twitter, thinking, you know, he's probably not, not going to answer. He's got no interest in this. And he responded. <laughs> and then we ended up getting on the phone. And once you get in front of him and you pick his brain, like, you know, it, he's not a bad guy. Like, he, he, he's, just, he's an interesting character. He loves the game. And he's very protective about it. You know, he doesn't, he's one of those guys, like he really doesn't want to hear kind of like stupid debate arguments. And I kind of appreciated that about him. Like, I don't want to waste my time having those type of debates. But, uh, but overall, he's a good guy and he's a great mind. And when in your life have you ever seen a point guard who is a great passer, who is not a great basketball mind? That's a great point. That's a great point. He, I mean, you know how it is. The point guard's got to be the quarterback, right? I mean, yep. he, he's got to be the guy that understands how to see the whole whole floor. You know what I mean? And, and if you don't have that type of point guard, your offense isn't going to be successful, just in my opinion. You know what I mean? And that's why you see some guys like you mentioned LeBron earlier. I mean, LeBron basically plays the point. Magic Johnson basically played the point. You know, they're guys that saw the saw the saw the court, and those are guys that could coach. I mean, any any guy that understands that position like that should be able to coach for sure. So, what um, another question I have is, how did how did your guys prepare as a team to play against that kind of talent in the TBT? I'm curious. Uh, well, the TBT structure is very very difficult, and I almost like want to pull my hair out every year. At, at that question, because it's one of those things where I don't have a month training camp. I'm, I'm dealing with players who just got home from being overseas and kind of want to settle into their actual lives a little bit. And I now have to hound them to like, let's get to the site a week early to prep. So, you know, you're kind of on a time constraint and really a lot of it I'm learning is about being mentally ready. Like, like you look at sideline cancer last year, those guys were mentally ready to play. Like they, they were geared up, they were charged to play and they may not have had the most talent, but because they were charged to play, they nearly won the thing. You know, they, in a short period of time, they figured it out. And if you don't have that formula in TBT, or if you don't have an alumni that's backing you up that's saying we could do a month training camp, it becomes very difficult. You know, you almost kind of fall into the, I'm an also ran in this. So it's, it's a challenge as a GM because this is new territory. Like it, it, it's, it's kind of like Bitcoin. Like we don't know where Bitcoin's going, but we know something's there. This is new territory. Like how do I do this without full on training camps? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you talk about the, the struggles of finding that practice time and finding that time together as a team. But it's also I, I wanted to ask, have you ever had to cut anybody from Team 23? And I don't need names or anything, but like, did you add somebody and it clearly wasn't working maybe when you did have that month to work together? And if so, how did those conversations go? <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I mean, and does that happen it, often? 
Uh, if, if it happened that often, I would kind of be failing. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't happen that often, but every once in a while it happens. And here's, here's the way that I, that I can best put it, because those players may be great players, but it's kind of like a square peg round hole situation. You know, I may have misread what the failure is really on my part and not theirs because I may have misread what I wanted them to do. I, I know I had one case where there was a guy who was about 6'9", six, 6'10", six, and he was more of a three and I wanted him to be a five. And there was really nothing out there that ever said that he was a five. So in his defense, that's my fault. You know, you know, I, I, I've had two cases that I can kind of point to where I kind of looked at two guys and I'm like, this is not what we need. It doesn't mean you can't win with those guys. It's just the way that I constructed the foundation. It, it kind of failed, you know? Yeah. Um, my next question to you is what kind of fan or GM are you when you're watching these games? Because you have a clear love for basketball and you also have a clear love for the players. I mean, are you, are you loud? Are you observant? Uh, I mean, what's it like watching a game for you when you're watching team 23? Uh, you mean during the games or <laughs> if I'm watching on TV? <laughs> uh, definitely uh, during the games for sure. The, the first two or three years, I lost my voice every game. You can actually hear me shouting if you like go back to the tapes. And then I kind of got like, all right, I can't keep losing my voice every game. You know, <laughs> like I, I had to like calm down a little because like in, in my mind, it's like every defensive possession mattered. So now that I've done this a bunch of times and I've seen like losing in the first round and I've seen getting to the championship, I think I've seen it all to the point where I've kind of numbed myself a little to it and it's more procedural. Yeah. And I mean, obviously these games mean a lot to you. You put a lot of work into it. Um, but also I think a lot of fans don't understand the type of work that you and these players really put into the tournament sometimes. Um, can you maybe explain how much these games actually mean to these guys? I mean, when you lost that title game, what can you tell us to give our listeners a, an idea of how much this actually means to them and how much they actually care? So I'll, I'll give you a great analogy. And I think the year after we lost the title game was the year the, the Cavs came back and beat the Warriors. And, you know, people are like, oh, my God, the Warriors were 73 and nine and they lost. And the whole time I'm watching that finals now, me before the TBT would think that's like the craziest event ever. But after the TBT, I started thinking to myself, the Warriors players are worth millions of dollars. Those guys could go to Bermuda and decompress. <laughs> like, like they could do anything they want after. When yeah. we lost, these were very average guys who that money would have exponentially helped their families, you know, their generational wealth situations. You know, it, it was so personal to watch those guys lose that I've kind of become numb to like, you know, a 16 beating a one in college basketball or 
and a team in the NBA underachieving. I've become numb to that because I'm close now to the personal experience that it just meant so much more. So in, in, in one aspect, I'm grateful for it. In another aspect, it's kind of tainted the way I look at like pro sports, like, eh, big deal. Like you'll just resign your contract. Like, like Giannis resigned for all that money after the Bucks had that disappointing loss. And, and I love Giannis. I even like the Bucks. But it's like, would I, would I really be disappointed if they lost? Like, it's it just one of those things where I know in the case of Dalvin White and Larry Owens that they belonged in the NBA. And this could have been their last shot at making some money before it was over. Yeah. And I'm curious, after that game, did you get to have any interactions with the players? Like, were you there when that happened? And, I mean, what was kind of the atmosphere after that loss? I mean, silly <laughs> question, but. <laughs> no, it's, it's actually a really good question. And, you know, I think it's important people know these things. Uh, so the game was in the Bronx at Fordham University, which, if you've never been there, is one of the most beautiful, like, campuses and you would never think it. And so for me, it was like coming back home because I had all my friends and my family there. And when we lost, everything just poured out of me. Like, you know, you're, you're up on that roller coaster so high and in one second it drops. And your body, like, you know, for me, I broke down in tears and there was nowhere to hide because I had my whole family and friends huddling by me the players could kind of like walk into a corner in the stands and they had their moments. So it was very, very difficult. I know I walked into the locker room and I walked right out because I couldn't bear to look at their faces because I was so heartbroken for them. So the story that always sticks out to me is my family said, why don't you stay with us for a week? And I went back to the hotel with Larry to pick up our stuff. And it was like totally quiet. Like me and Larry were like totally quiet. And he went into the elevator across from me. And I always, for the rest of my life, will have the image of the elevator door closing on Larry. Because I knew if there's anyone that felt the way I did in that moment, it was him. Yeah, I mean... Again, I, I, th I thank you for sharing that because I think it's important for our listeners to know because a lot of times they see this tournament and there's former pros, there's ex-athletes, and they think it's all fun. But, you know, for a lot of these guys, like you said, it is their future. I mean, it, it really pays a big difference to their financial future. Um, but on to more happier stuff, <laughs> uh, what kind of friendships are built through the TBT? Because uh, when we spoke on the phone, you said how it's really kind of a family-type feel to the league. So why do you think that is, and who have you been able to maybe come close with? Uh, you know, a, a lot of us GMs talk. You know, I, I've really be become close with uh, Matt Mitchell of Ever Everline Drive, and if you guys would ever want to do a podcast with him, he would love it. Uh, he's a really good guy. I think one of the reasons some of us become friends is because we're all kind of like, all right, we're a bunch of average guys living out a really cool fantasy of like, I get to play fantasy sports for real type of thing. <laughs> so, you know, like we'll, we'll talk to each other. Hey, who are you thinking about picking up this year? 
you know, we know that if like if we get in between the lines, like it's every man for himself. But at the end of the day, the TBT has created this camaraderie where I think all the GMs pretty much get along and they kind of deserve the credit more than we do because they make it a very family environment. When you go there, you know, you haven't seen these people for a year. They live all across the United States. It's like we're all coming together for like a family barbecue type of thing, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. <laughs> but, but that's the way a lot of us see it. And, you know, and, and sometimes we'll help each other out, you know, Hey, this guy doesn't want, I don't know if he'll fit with me this year. Could you get me this guy's number? It, it happens. You know, it's not, I, I just think that it makes the event better. You know, a lot of people are like, well, everyone has to hate each other for sports to work. I, I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I think, you know, in the big scope of things, too, it's like you want your league to survive. So, like, a good example of that would be, like, the USFL, where the USFL was a league that had a really good opportunity to survive, but a lot of the owners and GMs kind of were going at each other instead of working together to make that work. And I think you guys are doing a great job of making that work personally. Um, I, I want to ask a hard question, if you don't mind me asking. Um, why were you guys not in the TBT this this last year? Um, I know the tournament was kind of split in half, but what did the committee look at in order to determine who's in and who's out? Or did you guys just choose not to because of the whole COVID thing? I. Uh, it's kind of a combination of both. I mean, the phone call came to me. Initially, the phone call came and it went something like, if we had a 32 team field, you're automatically in. But because our number is 24, you know, they, they, they thought it was an odd number. However, a day later, I get a phone call. We want you to be in because we're almost certain that teams will you know, leave due to COVID. And I could have easily jumped on that. In fact, if we would have taken the spot, we would have ended up playing Chris Paul's team. So the opportunity was there. I think I kind of made a choice of the universe is telling me not to do this. You know, like there was too much going on in the world. There was too many unknowns. And I'm now taking players that have careers where they make livings overseas and I'm asking them to do something for potentially free during a health risk. So I think the human element of me kind of kicked in and said, it's just not meant to be, you know? Yeah. So I kind of took a step back and it was hard. It was so hard to watch those games you know, like I'm watching it and I'm looking at everyone having the, the fun and like I said, the family barbecue element. And they were the, the the test for the NBA. I guess it just didn't feel right. And for me, a couple of months before that, I lost my father. So it just nothing was working out for me to say, eh, let's force this to happen. You know, you bring up a great point because, boy, we were in such a weird state last year around this time. And I remember 
me and Zach had started the podcast last uh, January, and we we remember everything going through because we were doing pods when things were starting to happen and things were getting canceled. We were blown away. And I remember talking to Zach, and it's kind of funny because it was exactly the question I was just going to ask you that you already answered was, you know, we were looking at the TBT as like, man, this is kind of like the guinea pig to see if you can play during COVID. And like, there's so much pressure on all these guys, like to get through the season, because if it does, then you know, the NBA is going to resume their season, you know, the NFL is going to have their season, like it was like, there was such an importance in our opinions, me and Zach's opinions that like, the TBT success, and, and, and it did succeed, which was awesome to see last year. But man, that was that was an enormous amount of pressure. I mean, I, I would think I would, you know, and I can't speak for anybody involved with it because I'm not involved with it. But man, it's it really did seem like the the eyes and the weight of the world sports wise was on your guys' shoulders last year. In terms of that, um, what I do want to ask you is, what's your strategy in building the team this year? Do you have any guys confirmed that share, or does that remain a secret for now? Or I think I'm kind of, I've been very, very quiet this year. (laughs) I, I, you know, there are players that I am really excited about, you know, again, it's March and guys are still overseas. So communication is not like at the ultimate premium right now, but if I can get the guys that I'm looking at right now, then and they're committed, you know, that part too. Sure. I think we would have a good shot to make a run. But this event is so hard that you could have some of the best players in the world and be out in the first game. I mean, I, I thought Team Heinz last year, like, it's basically like a EuroLeague all-star team every year, and they were out in the first round. And they take the event seriously. It's not like they don't take the event seriously. So it's a lot of it is like luck of the draw, how dedicated your guys are. You know, now that we have COVID, I think player vaccinations are kind of going to be a key to the TBT. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, this is probably a terrible question, but I wanted to ask about like team chemistry really quick because, I mean, you've, you've kind of talked about your strategies and building a team, but as a manager, do you ever like gather these teams for team get togethers or go on any fun, like, you know, bonding trips or zoom calls or hangouts? I mean, how do you build that <laughs> chemistry to make sure that it clicks? Cause it's more than yeah, just actually we, we try to do something like that every year. Uh, I know a couple of years, you know, we would take everyone out for steak dinners, you know, like we would try to get everyone in a loose environment so 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 they know that like hey you could be yourself a little you know this isn't like you know <laughs> this isn't game 7 of the nba finals you know this is this is an event but it's not like life or death like you you guys are still human beings uh we've done that i think we we've done like a dave and busters outing you know a lot of that is you know my, my, our sponsor and and Ron Kadich, who I does this with, he's always setting that stuff up, and he's always, you know, finding deals on hotels and and flights. Like, I, I'll tell you, if there's anyone right now that deserves like a ton of credit for the things that happened for us, it's him. 
and it's kind of like I end up being the face to do like these interviews, but he really doesn't get enough credit for all the things that he does. One, one of my last questions about the TBT I have for you is your thoughts on the Elam ending. I mean, we talked about it earlier, how um, it kind of changed your mind and how you think it's exciting, but do you feel like college or the NBA should also apply this rule or do you think it's something that adds to the uniqueness of the TBT? Uh, I think it's better for the TBT if everyone adopted it. I, I wish the NBA would credit Nick Elam and the TBT a little more. Like they, they kind of like play this little game where, you know, they don't want to say, Oh, this originated there. You know, like the story goes that Chris Paul loved it so much in the TBT he brought it to Adam Silver, and that's how it got adopted in the NBA. But how many people know that story? Yeah. So it, it's, it's one of those things where I wish – I definitely think it's better for basketball. You know, I, I do think late-game fouling is pretty terrible. I think for the NBA, it couldn't be seven or eight points. It might have to be like ten because the, the algorithm of scoring – because I, I believe Nick Elam's original logic was there's an average score in basketball of like 76 points. And if you break down four minutes, eight points is scored in four minutes or seven points. And that's the number. But in the NBA, when you're dealing with 48 minute clocks and you're dealing with 115 scores, you might have to change the Elam to 10 or 12. I think the NBA's next move will probably be to incorporate it in overtimes before they would do it at the end of like the actual game. But again, it, it takes guts to do that. Like, you know, some Adam silver or somebody has to be willing to want to be the pioneer of that. And college basketball is going to be a lot harder because you have the whole NTA committee which is almost like the mafia. <laughs> so, like, like, you know, anything past the NCAA committee is like a whole mess. Yeah. You know, that's really interesting because I do believe that, you know, it's important for progress. I mean, you know, I bring up the NFL. The NFL didn't have the two-point conversion until the 90s and, and what a difference that's made in the sport. You know, the three-point line, you know, in basketball and pro basketball made a huge difference. There, there's some things, it's, if, you know, making the game evolve is huge. And speaking of evolving, where does the TBT go from, from here? I mean, obviously the talent's going to grow for sure. Um, but how do you think the TBT can expand or grow into, you know, into a larger audience? Um, what do you feel like the next step is? Or do you feel like there's no steps necessary and they just got to get out there? I think the, the TBT, to ask me where it's going to go, it's kind of a tough question because I only know the trajectory of this moment. All right. And I think they operate almost kind of the way my brain operates in that everything has to be organic. If, if it organically worked out that the TBT could be a fully functional league, I think that could happen, but it may not organically work out that way. It may organically work out that the TBT becomes a $10 million summer tournament. They're kind of at, a, at forks in the roads every year. And what makes them so successful is that they're not only willing to identify the forks, but they're willing to adjust accordingly. 
and that's kind of a life lesson for all of us. <laughs> like, you know, we're also set on, we have these goals and if our goals don't meet a certain thing, but that's not the way things work. Like you just kind of are, are driving along and moving in certain directions. And yes, you can push things a certain way, but something greater may come along. So I, I think the same thing is going to happen with them. My gut is that they will be around for a very, very long time. Their ratings, I think, were the highest ever last year. And they've been exponentially higher for four or five straight years. You know, they're turning profits. They have good sponsors. They're doing things within the event that they weren't doing before. Now, do you, if you ask me, would this have been their goal four years ago? No, because they made forks along the way. So all I can say about this is they'll be around a very long time and they will adjust accordingly. That's an excellent answer. I really appreciate you answering that question. And it, and it reminds me of like a friend of mine told me a long time ago, you know, he's like, you always keep hitting your head the same way into this problem. You got to learn how to be like water. Water finds its way around anything. Water always finds a way around a rock. And and I think that, you know, being like water and and, and adjusting and adapting to what's thrown at you, you know, what's thrown at the league will only make it successful. I, I think that's really smart. It's a great answer. Um, is there anything else we should know about Team 23 or this year's TBT that you'd like to share? Uh, I'm very excited about it. <laughs> I don't know where where we will be playing uh if we even get in i mean i don't i i'll say this uh, of all the teams that didn't get in last year nobody had more wins in this event than us we, we had we have nine total wins in this event uh, so i don't see any reason why we wouldn't be back i would say don't just follow us follow the whole event as a whole and if you're one of those people that just cares about the alumni, try to expand your mind and look at some of these teams like Sideline Cancer and Everline Drive and Team Challenge ALS. I mean, there are some otherworldly talents on those teams, and they're playing for great causes. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And that's a wonderful thing to get behind, I think, too, which we should get behind more, to be honest with you. So all our listeners out there, make sure you get behind this league for sure. Hey, Michael, we're going to do a quick lightning round with you. Zach's going to ask the questions. Zach, are you ready to ask the questions? For sure. Uh, my first question to you is, who's your hero growing up? Uh, growing up, it, 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 was, it was Jordan. <laughs> I think now as an, as an adult... I get to see more of the human side of him, so I can look at it more rationally. But growing up, it was definitely Michael Jordan. Okay. Um, I'm going to Jersey this fall. I go to New York and New Jersey every single year. What's your favorite spot that I need to check out? Ooh. I would say the Statue of Liberty, just because people don't realize it's on the New Jersey side. I think everybody needs to visit it once. Okay. What about food-wise? What What about food? Ah, <laughs> uh, man, that's tough. That's so tough. <laughs> it, if If you're a fan of subs, uh, Tasty Subs in Edison, New Jersey, uh, I think that the, a couple uh, President Obama visited there once. It's well worth it. Okay. 
what's tougher to deal with, East Coast winters or those hot Phoenix summers? East Coast winners. <laughs> I thought you might say that one. Um, who's the one guy that you've watched in TBT that just wowed you where you're thinking, how's this guy not in the NBA? Uh, it's, a, it's a tie. It's Kyle Fogg and DJ Kennedy. Okay. Yeah, DJ Kennedy. I remember him for sure. Uh, who's the most professional player you've been around? The one guy that approaches practices, games, and just life on a whole nother level? Uh, it'll probably have to be Larry Owens or Dalvin White. Okay. The Wolf. All right. Um, is there somebody in TBT who pleasantly surprised you uh, when you met them for the first time or uh, maybe the most misunderstood guy in the TBT? Uh, like a player or a coach or anybody? Anybody. Uh, it, honestly, it would have to be Doug Gottlieb. Okay. Uh, who's the one guy that you wished that you could have recruited to, to, uh, to your team in the past? Oh. Okay. He's actually from Tucson, Arizona. He plays in the NBL in Australia. He has not played in the event yet, but I think he's one of the best guards out there. It's Bryce Cotton. I don't know if you remember he played for Providence. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I might take Bryce Cotton over most anybody. Okay. Um, what's more exciting in your opinion, a last-second buzzer beater or the Elam ending? I think I already know the answer to this one. Wow. You know, it's it, honestly the last-second buzzer beater only because it rarely happens. But I think – the Elam ending is, is, is better off for the game. But the excitement of a last-second buzzer beater is really hard to top. Absolutely. Okay. And uh, my final question to you is, what's your favorite basketball memory, if you had to pick just one? Yes. Uh, I can tell you my best and my worst. <laughs> uh, my favorite, there was a 17-game span where Michael Jordan wore 45. And I happened to be at one of the Bulls-Nets games where he, the only Bulls-Nets game where he wore 45. So we're talking about 17 to 20 games that he wore this number. I was at one of those. So that is one of my favorite memories. And then my least favorite memory is probably losing the TVT. <laughs> Yeah, I was assuming that was going to be your least favorite. That's why I didn't want to ask you that one. But, I mean, you, you threw in that question, so that wasn't me. That wasn't me. <laughs> did, did you ever see City Slickers? Oh, yeah. If you remember them. So, I think they were talking about, like, the best and worst moments of their life. And Bruno Kirby, you know, tells them about the, the day his dad left. And he goes, man, what was your worst day? He goes, the same day. It's kind of the same thing with this. <laughs> like, that was one of the best moments and worst moments at the same time. You know, it's funny. I remember uh, I remember Jordan wearing the 45, and I think he put up 55 against the Knicks wearing 45, if I remember correctly. That was like two games after the game I went to. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a huge Knicks fan. I grew up loving the Knicks. My dad had season tickets before I was born and, and uh, Jordan always used to crucify us, man. I, 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 there's never a player I hated more in my life 
that and respected more than Michael Jordan. So, so yeah. So yeah, you can't you can't say hey. I mean, Team Twenty Three. Come on, you, you can't I, be saying that. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I actually, I hate is just another form of love when it comes to sports. <laughs> Let, let's just be honest. Like you could say, I hate the Lakers. I hate Kobe Bryant, or I hate this. It just means you hate how good they are, which and, means you know how good they are. No, it's it's true, man. I mean, what was the biggest, you know, obstacle for the Knicks in the late '80s and mid '90s was it was always the Bulls. That was the team they can never get past. You know what I mean? And, and it was because of Jordan. And 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 you know, like you said, you know, your mom worked right next to Madison Square Garden. I mean, that's where everybody loves to play basketball, and that's where a lot of basketball players have their best games. It's that it's that huge stage, you know. Unless um, they wear a Knicks jersey. Oh God, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we're doing. Hey, we're five hundred this year. We're we're we're, we're playoff bound, maybe. So we'll see what happens. But I don't know. I I have nowhere to talk. I'm I'm a Mets fan, so I know that pain too. Oh God, yeah, I was a Mets fan growing <laughs> up, and I I actually switched to the Yankees because they started trading all my favorite players, and you know, growing <laughs> back up back east before all the cable channels got into it, you could watch the Mets on nine, and you could watch the Yankees on eleven. Yep. So. You could yep, watch WWR and WBIX. Absolutely. Yeah. See, we're talking our same language now. Hey, Michael, <laughs> I want to tell you, man, it was an absolute treat to talk to you today. I really, really enjoyed all the information you gave us. And I know that our listeners are really going to be into, uh, into this, this episode because there's so much great stuff that you gave us about this league. And, and you really made it personal in a really good way you know it's it's like you you made people understand that people love the sport and when you really do love the sport you know you put your heart and soul into it and i really appreciate you uh tell us about that um is there anything that you wanted to add or promote real quick uh yeah you can follow us on twitter at team 23 tbt or instagram team 23 basketball uh I would definitely say tune into the event, tune in to us this summer. Hopefully crossing our fingers, we can get back to the championship. That would be awesome. Hey, Zach, um, anything you want to add before we let Michael get out of here? Yeah, I just want to echo what Eric said. You know, thank you so much for your time. I mean, we really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm wearing the TBT gear right now. So, I mean, I love TBT, everything about it. And I know Team 23 is going to be back at some point. You guys are going to get that championship. So we'll be pulling for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, make sure you stay safe out there, my friend. Enjoy your week, and uh, thanks for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. You too. Thanks, guys. Thanks for what you do. Absolutely. Take care. All right. That was a great interview. Yeah, he's a he's a great dude. Um, really passionate about basketball. Passionate about his uh, his team, about his players. Um, there's a lot of passion in that guy, and it's just a real joy to listen to him talk. And he makes some great points. Like it's not only about Team Twenty Three. Like he pointed out, all the other great teams that have all these great causes that they're playing for. Uh, it's it's really a beautiful league. It really is. So for all of our listeners, I'm sure you've heard of it, but really really watch it because there's some great talent out there. There really is just all these guys that um, love basketball, play overseas. And like he said, these are guys that these winnings really mean something for him. So it's almost like March Madness of professionals. You know, they're really playing for a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And um, refresh my memory because we've had it. We've been, you know, grateful that we've had so many wonderful guests on our show. That was the first GM we got to talk to, correct? 
the first GM. So, I mean, we got a whole different view of the game of basketball today. And that's what's so special about it. Um, just a really great basketball mind. Like I said, passionate. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. And he, and he didn't play the game. Yeah. Which was, it was really kind of cool, you know, because it's like, here's the thing, man. This is something that I think he's really a cool type of role model because let's say you, you love basketball, but you're just not coordinated for the game. Let's just say yeah. it just doesn't come to you. But you love watching it on TV. You love following it. Maybe your buddies are playing in school and you go to the games and whatnot. There's a place for you in the game. You know, it doesn't mean that the place has to be on the court. And for him, you know, the place is being the GM, which is to me is amazing. I mean, to think about it and the respect that he has from his players, you know, the stories he told today. I mean, it, it was a real treat, like I told him and I meant it. It was a real treat. And 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 guys, guys and girls helping us out like you guys do, putting us on the map, 15 countries, I think 16 now that we've charted in. Um, all these great guests we're getting, a lot of it has to do with you guys. So I, I really, really appreciate you guys and thank you so much for doing the things you're doing. I mean, retweeting some of our stuff on Twitter and sharing social media posts on Facebook. And there's all these great things you're doing, five-star reviews, the, the actual reviews you're giving us on iTunes, all the hits we're seeing on Spotify. I mean, we can't be thankful enough, but I always want to say it after every episode, Thank you again, because we do appreciate you guys very much. Um, Zach, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Just a big thanks to uh, Mr. Iliano again for being on our show. Love the stories. Um, and just thanks to all the listeners. We're getting incredible guests like Mike, and um, we got a lot more coming your way. And I really appreciated that he said thanks for what we do, because we really do love what we do. We just love learning more about the game and learning about the – you know, some of the obstacles that these players, coaches, GMs now, we can say we had a GM and it's just really fun to hear about their basketball journey and what basketball means to them and what they learned from basketball to apply to their everyday life. So it's been a really fun ride. Absolutely. I'm going to echo one thing Michael said as we get out of here. Um, don't be afraid to be wrong, people. Don't don't be afraid to uh, to learn and to admit when you weren't right about something. I, I think it brings a conversation um, to a lot more importance when we have open minds. I think that's super important. He made a great point about that. And I think we could use that in everyday life, not just in sports. But in sports, what we talk about, it's really important to be able to give people credibility and allow them to speak their minds and, and allow yourself to listen and learn, not just wait to you know go at somebody with your points again. It doesn't make any sense. So I, I thought that was a great point he made. Um, everybody stay safe out there. Be good to each other. Peace out.